Welcome, you're listening to the podcast Outlander Soul, searching for the soul of Outlander with me, Dr. Jamie Reeves. And me, Reverend Terry Menifee-Gow. Just be aware, there's going to be spoilers here. In just a little bit, Amy is going to be talking about a conference that she went to. And she's going to say it was in Bristol, but it was actually in Belfast. So anytime you hear Amy talk about being in Bristol, think Belfast. We're back! Yay! So glad to be back. (laughs) Yeah, so we have a special guest for the next episode or two are you professor or just doctor here it's just doctor it's just doctor yeah just doctor right so we have <laughs> um dr amy davis who's based here at the university of hull in the media and communications department no in no. film studies in, in the film studies unit. department Okay. So in yeah. film studies department and Hull is in the UK? Hull is in the UK. So we're up we're up north. Yes, East Yorkshire. East Yorkshire. East Yorkshire slash Humberside. Yeah. You're across the water from me. Right. And that's how I think of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're but you're north and that's We're in the um, north of England. That's Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those of you who don't know or might have forgotten, so I live, me, Jamie Reeves, lives in the UK and have gotten to know quite a few academics who are doing interesting work that relates to Outlander. So we had Emma Nagoose at Sheffield last season talking about Outlander and sexual violence. And Amy started following us on Twitter and we started having conversations and we're like, oh my gosh. We need to have you as a guest as well. So specializing in, I will let you speak for yourself. Well, my normal specialization Mm -hmm. is actually the Disney studio. As it relates to gender, as animation relates to gender, but also Disney studio history, and that's what I partly teach on is uh, the Disney studio and on American animation history. But I also teach on and do research on gender and uh, representation and feminist history and different feminist movements and so forth. Basically how things do relate to our understanding of gender, how that understanding has evolved, the way that gender intersects with other things like race, class, sexuality, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, So lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make sure that my husband hears this. Um, he, he, I love my husband very, very much. He doesn't always listen to my podcasts or read my scripts. We all love Dave. Everyone who knows Dave I do. He's amazing. But the thing is, he's an animator. And so this is what is so cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he has, he grew up on uh, the animation bit. So I think he's going to really enjoy this conversation, particularly, Mm -hmm. particularly with your expertise in animation and Disney animation. He's going to be out of the moon about this. Mm -hmm. Cool. But I am an obsessive. Go for it. (laughs) Oh, right. An obsessionac. I don't think we've used that term in in the podcast, have we? What what is the term? An obsessionac. Like sassanac, but an obsessive. Oh, Oh, I love that. Obsessionac. Obsessionac. Like obsess. Obsessionac. Obsessionac. Mm. I'm going to have to use that now. (laughs) And everything. And I I was invited to give a keynote at a conference in Bristol. A couple of years ago, and it was Bristol, UK, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not and Bristol, Tennessee, <laughs> slash Virginia. No. <laughs> no, no, where I have family. I've got family down there, so I have family near there. 
And it was, the conference was basically on feminism and fairy tales and sort of how feminism has led to rewritings of some fairy tales or new versions of some fairy tales. And I knew they were asking me because of the Disney stuff. But I was kind of like needing a way to justify all the many hours I had spent reading these books and watching the show and so forth. Mm -hmm. And that's what film studies people do is, (laughs) you know. So I said, you know, if you want me to do it on Disney, I'll do it on Disney. But can I do it on Outlander? And they said, (laughs) yes. So I did a proper keynote academic paper on essentially comparing the book and the first couple of series. And because with those, it's really interesting that you actually have a, what, 23-year gap Mm. between the first book and the first series. So you get almost a whole generational thing that shows the changes that have happened in terms of gender, in terms of feminism, Mm -hmm. so forth and so on. So it actually makes for a lot of really interesting comparisons. Mm -hmm. And plus some of the discourse, particularly coming from people like Ron Moore, uh, in some of the podcasts that they do about the episodes, Mm -hmm. where he's, in one case in particular, particularly about the spanking scene, where he said some questionable things, you know, about that... The women in the room in the the conference when they were talking about this wanted to play that scene darker, but he felt like they pulled it back to a nice happy medium. And he didn't understand why the women wanted this scene played darker. Yeah. It's like, you know. Yeah. Spousal abuse, but hey, sure. Humor. Well, and I, I, you know, I noticed just in, so, you know, 23 years, 25 years, however long it's taken her to write these books, she's changed several stances and things, just going from book one to book two to book three, especially on homosexuality, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly on gay men. And it's it's a very different stance that she seems to have, by she, I mean Diana and the writing of it, she seems to shift quite a bit from book one to book three. Oh, God, it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was a friend who turned me on to it. And the, when I read it, I was like, that was a great book, but damn. <laughs> you know, the, the homophobia. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, the friend was like, you know, don't worry, it gets better, it gets yeah. better. And then it did. Yeah. It did. But and it, I, it, I, I think there was a shift in her. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a shift specifically in her to create a character like John Gray, which mm-hmm. is like the polar opposite of who Blackjack Randall is. So. Yeah, but then at the same yeah. time, we also get John's ex-lover, ex-stepbrother, Percy, Percy. Mm-hmm. Pers- uh, yeah. Perseverance, mm-hmm. who's a bit... He's not as bad as Blackjack, but he is also He's still predatory kind of stereotypes of yeah. the promiscuous gay man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. So Amy, tell us a bit about your paper. Kind of what was where were you coming from? Okay. It was a fairy tale based conference, feminism and fairy tales, mm-hmm. and so it just seemed like a perfect fit to me to talk about Antlander because mm-hmm. it it is a fairy tale, and in fact, it touches upon lots and lots and lots of other different fairy tales folklore, Mm. so forth. And of course, the book itself, or the books themselves, refer to, gosh, multiple different legends. Mm. Scottish, Celtic, in a sort of broader sense, traditional European fairy tales, Native American Mm. fairy tale and folklore Mm -hmm. stories that come in once they're actually living in North Carolina. 
you know, so characters like the, uh, you know, although it's a character who claims it as a name, Wendigo. Yeah. I've yeah. often wondered yeah. what, yeah. So tell, what's... The Wendigo almost sounds like the Nukalevi. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. You know, the the, the Scottish character who essentially oh, yeah. comes and consumes those around him. The Wendigo is a very similar dangerous violent yeah. destructive cre- uh, creature and actually i think consumes yeah mm-hmm. a wendigo is actually featured in supernatural the television show mm-hmm. and it's it's a very evil creature mm-hmm. and so <laughs> i think there's even an, an original series of the original series of charmed one of the characters Possibly. uh shannon doherty's character turns into a wendigo in an early episode or Maybe right. or not her. Maybe it was the other one of the other sisters. Right. I don't remember. So as as we're talking about fairy tale and about Outlander, mm-hmm. I mean the immediate the immediate connection that I have is the idea of a fairy. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I mean we were talking about fairy hills and and fairy dunes dunes I believe they're dunes dunes dunes, 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 yeah. dunes. fairy dunes. My, my Scottish heritage is long. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. I, I do come from the McVales. They were at Culloden. <laughs> Johnston's Somehow they, they managed weren't. to get over here. Anyway, they fought with the Camerons. Anyway, uh, uh, but the immediate connection that I get is actual fairies. Mm-hmm. Because Claire is, we're thinking Claire is a fairy. That's where Diana seems to be leading us down this path, is mm-hmm. that she is of the old folk. And so mm-hmm. when I think of fairy tales, I think... I think of Cinderella, and of course there are fairies, there are fairy godmothers, there are fairies in a lot of our stories. Is that what you're talking about when you're talking about fairy tales, or are you talking about something even more ancient in legend? And maybe define what what's a fairy tale and what's a myth, if that's possible. Oh, wow. That's hard. <laughs> How that's much, very I mean, hard. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I I focus some of my studies on myth and yeah. parable, and that's a, that's a hard question. Yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I mean, but answer it. The way I differentiate, um, and I'll just go with how I do it, yeah. is to me, myth has more of more of a religious connotation. Okay. That it's it's hmm. about... There's a moralistic... Well, moralistic, but also this idea of the history of one's own faith. Which gotcha. Is why, for instance, I would think that we call stories of the ancient greek gods and the ancient Mm -hmm. roman gods and so forth myths Mm -hmm. you know these are greek myths roman myths Mm -hmm. it was a belief system and Mm -hmm. these were stories from that belief system and explaining the the principles of the world and how it works yeah yeah which basically how the world works yeah Yeah. Yeah. and that's it it establishes your universe yeah Yeah. whereas folk tales and fairy tales they can do that but they also are about teaching us how to be within society, how to behave, Mm -hmm. the sort of the things that we can do that will transgress society Mm -hmm. and therefore earn us a punishment, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Because I know like with the Grimm fairy tales, they were more there to teach the children and others to, you know, stay away from wolves, you know, (laughs) stay away from, you know, don't go wandering in a bog by yourself. Don't, you know, don't do these types of things. They, They had more of a moral aspect to them or at least a didactic yeah. uh, kind of aspect to them they were there to teach yeah although it's with the Grimm's and with the multiple uh, reprints and translations of the Grimm's that it starts to head more towards children's entertainment and I take see. on that association association sorry 
They were for adults as much, if not more, for children. They were often very lewd, very violent, very, Mm -hmm. you know, unsuitable for children's ears, even when people were less precious about what children heard. Mm. And, you know, so many of the fairy tales that the Grimm's wrote down are thousands of years old. And they were told a version. Mm -hmm. And then they wrote it down and they cleaned it up. And then by the time those eventually get translated into English, they are further cleaned up. Mm-hmm. And they just get watered down in some ways to the point where when we get them. So when studios like Disney begin doing their fairy tale films, it isn't, to me, it's just another version. Mm-hmm. It's not an adaptation even because every time a story like this is told, retold, through the centuries to different cultures, different audiences, mm-hmm. it it changes, mm-hmm. you know, and that's normal. Can you give us an example of one that may have changed from, you know, ancient time and through Grimm and then into Disney? Is there, do you have one that you can immediately just pull out of your gigantic brain? It's <laughs> <laughs> only a little bit large. Um, <laughs> no, 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 you, obviously you're... <laughs> Huge brain. <laughs> so that's great. Um, sorry, I just pictured um, the characters from atta- uh, Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Pierce of Pierce Brosnan. And- <laughs> well, Snow White. Okay. Snow White's one. Okay. Because this is a very old story. The Grimm's, of course, write down, I think, two or three versions, and others have written different versions down. And there are even versions or I don't know, offshoots or sequels or or whatever that like the one about the death of the seven dwarfs that don't normally get told. Wow. I don't, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's quite grisly. This other girl comes along the version I've heard anyway, this other girl comes along, they take her in. Same as they did for Snow White. Yeah. Precedent has been set. They welcome the beautiful women. Yeah. Only this time they shouldn't have because some others come along and she they're sort of, why are you staying with these men? And she claims that they think that they've, they've stolen her and are using her and abusing her. And so they kill the dwarves and bury them in their yard. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your face, Terry. <laughs> Poor Dopey. I know, but Dopey. What about Dopey? So, wow. yeah. But even Here. things like in the Disney version, when she's kissed... By the prince, you know, and true love's kiss is what breaks the spell. They kind of, well, obviously stole that from Sleeping Beauty, but they did it in large part because of the Hayes Code. Because the Hayes Code, which governed film content in Hollywood throughout the 30s, 40s, though it begins to lose power and through the 50s, it gets Mm -hmm. weaker and weaker until the rating system comes in that we have now in the Mm -hmm. late 60s. But they knew that the way that the queen is killed mm-hmm. in the Grimm version would never make it past the Hayes office. Because in most of the versions, she's forced to dance herself to death in a pair of red hot iron shoes. Whoa. So really? That's dark. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you know, she falls off the cliff and then we see the vultures circling. And that's how we know she's died in the Disney version. It's a lot easier to animate. Yeah. A lot cheaper to animate. Yeah. 
Well, and wow. if I remember correctly, they animated a lot of that with live action too. They did um, they, some. Mm-hmm. I know they did with at least with Snow White dancing. Yeah, there were certain yeah. scenes where they did a bit more. Well, rotoscoping, rotoscoping. although they did it with yeah. basically xeroxes of the mm-hmm. the live action. They called them photostats. And they were supposed to have done more. Supposed to have done more, but the animators didn't like the way it looked. Mm-hmm. They thought it looked too strange, and it kind of it veered into something that we would now consider uncanny valley Mm. which obviously they didn't call it that then but that's how we would think of it they veered away from the photostats because if they used them and they used them for every single frame then she just looked strange and they found that if they maybe used the very first one and the very last one just to keep the action tied into the part of the frame where it needed to be and did the rest by hand, then it just looked better. She moved yep. better, she flowed better. Mm-hmm. And really they had to change her body proportions anyway from a normal human's proportions in order for her to not be creepy looking. Mm. You still do see bits here and there in the film where it is more sort of rotoscoped. Mm-hmm. And the dance scene is one where they've got a lot of that. There's a, a very short bit where uh, after the queen has fed Snow White the poisoned apple and then she flees the dwarf's cottage when she comes out of the door and sort of does this weird little sort of <gasps> and then runs as she sees the dwarves coming that's clearly rotoscoped you know, so there are a few bits but generally they tried to keep away from it just to make it look better and make her look better and this was the first mm. animated feature film not really. Uh, Disney. That Disney. Disney's does, first. Right? Disney's yeah, first. Disney's yeah. first animated feature film, and it has quite a lot of celebrity attached to it because of that, and it's it's pretty well known because of that. Mm. Um, it isn't. You're right. The first animated feature film. Um, <laughs> there are others that there are others that do this besides the United States and Walt Disney and Hollywood. Yes. yes. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> we are not the center of the universe. But I'm I'm interested, particularly that you've brought up Snow White and the fact that there are two strong female leads in Snow White, mm-hmm. and they mm. do not get along. No. <laughs> um, and that I think that this goes into some of the feminism that you have been talking about. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Because that intrigues me, mm. particularly as we're talking about Claire and Outlander, mm. and and yeah. and her relationship with the other women in Outlander. Yeah, because. Claire, to me, she suffers from a bad case of, it's called Smurfette Syndrome. (laughs) Speaking of cartoons. (laughs) I know what you're going to say. Right, so what is Smurfette Syndrome since Terry knows and I don't? Yeah, Smurfette Syndrome is where you have one Ah, female character (laughs) who is surrounded by male characters and women, other women might be there in the background but not necessarily you know and it's things like you know even like princess leia was apparently the only woman in the entire universe for the first film right of the Star this Wars is in series. every shakespeare play yeah. yeah every shakespeare play there's maybe one woman maybe two yeah. but the two women generally hate each other yeah <laughs> and, yeah and particularly the um the histories it's it's almost always just the one woman and it in, in part, at least as an actor, a lot of these were traveling plays and you only had, you had four men and a boy, sir. Mm-hmm. And those were the five people who put on a play of 55 characters. And there were no women mm-hmm. playing them. And so it was easier to write the women out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're, you're the you're the you're the person. So I'm sorry. You, no, you it's, talk a little bit it's about true. That. I'm just thinking that makes perfect practical sense for a playwright, but yeah. it doesn't excuse every other story. No, no, no. It, yeah. it, it doesn't excuse it doesn't excuse the stories that you're reading in books. You can write as many women in there as you want to. Yeah. However, however, they, mm-hmm. they tend not to, and of course, that's just as a patriarch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Patriarchy. Snow White is kind of a Smurfette. Claire is very definitely, especially for the first couple of books, she is very much a Smurfette. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of like a meme that we need to do with Claire, a Smurfette. Um, we could put a little Smurf hat on her. Yeah, a little blonde wig, painter blue. Yeah. I've got a job. You said your husband's an animator? Yeah. Claire, Absolutely. I'm going to turn Dave on that. Yeah, yeah. I'm Claire has Smurf. Yeah. <laughs> Claire has so few women around her, mm. and even fewer that she acts likes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I think even more importantly, like her. Yeah. You know, Galus. Galus likes her. Clearly, she likes her enough to save her life. Yeah. You know, at the witch trial, Mrs. Fitz likes her. Mm. Letitia, we hardly hear from one Letitia. way or another. Colum's wife. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gosh, Although see, she yeah, is meant to completely. be a witch as well, according to Jamie. Oh, yeah. And then Leary. Leary, yeah. And, I mean, if there was ever a character created to be just the worst possible female character, yeah. I'm sort of thinking of her in relation to things like the Bechdel test, for instance, mm-hmm. it's like, Dear Lord, she would never pass that in a million mm-hmm. years. She can yeah. only think about Jamie either to love him mm-hmm. or later to hate him and blame him for everything. Yeah. Later it gets kind of better with women characters, but not much. Mm. You know, she actually has to give birth to one female character yeah. that she can actually kind of get along with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's Lizzie. And even then they don't really get along until the until Frank dies. Even then, they don't really have a solid relationship yeah. until until the man in the family dies and Claire has to own up to who her real father is. Yeah. Mm. You're right. It doesn't pass that test. They do talk about things other than men yeah. every now and then, but it's generally only in the books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing it so much in the show, are they? No. A bit. I was actually re-watching a bit of the first season earlier this mm. week. And Claire and Gellis do have a conversation about herbs and treatments mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it eventually moves to mm-hmm. Jamie and to Gellis's husband. And it even kind of actually starts a bit with a reference to that, you know, and when Claire's picking some mushroomy type things mm-hmm. and Gellis says, you know, those are poisonous and, you know, who are you planning mm-hmm. to use them mm-hmm. on? And, mm-hmm. oh, I might try that on my husband. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, she does murder him later, but... It's we should probably we should probably talk about what the Bechdel the Bechdel test, test is. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty um, low bar for feminist really analysis <laughs> for a, a series, a movie. I would even apply it to literary. Yeah, works. I think you could. Oh yeah. Basically, all it is <laughs> is that there have to be at least two named female characters. These two characters have to have a conversation with one another, and at least one conversation 
cannot be about a man or men, but something else entirely. Or their relationship to them. Yeah. That kind of thing. It has to be something separate from the men in their lives. Or yeah. And how many and how many movies pass this test, Amy? I don't know the number, but probably not a huge number. I'm going to look it up while you guys talk. Well, given that... I forget the exact figure off the top of my head, but it's something like out of all the G-rated films, only about 30% of characters are female speaking roles. Mm. That doesn't even necessarily mean mean named characters. Mm. Mm. So to pass the Betchdale in addition to that, that would be... So one thing that for Outlander that I'm thinking about as far as a book goes they obviously haven't gotten there for the tv show but a scene that stood out to me was when claire was speaking with rachel and i want to say brianna and who else oh Oh, um Dottie yes uh, in the tent but of course I mean and and there's something about that scene that was like oh my gosh Claire's surrounded by all these women and she's talked about how she doesn't have as many female friends and how she finds male company easier to be with that kind of stuff but they're still talking about men yeah so there was a little bit about themselves and their own what it is to have sex and and your own sexuality and all but it's also about how to please him yeah yeah. Because of the old, the old God. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So there was part of me, it's like, oh, oh no, it won't. <laughs> How are you doing, Terry? Did you find the... I, I did. I found some good, I found some really good information. I was okay. wrong about the percentage, but okay. let me just say, um, okay, so the percentage passing the Bechdel test, and if if we talk about the Bechdel test, it is two women named they have to have names mm-hmm, mm-hmm. talking about anything but men yeah mm-hmm. is the bottom line yeah, yeah. and so in 1970s of course it was very very low that was like 23 percent or so from 1970 to 1974 that passed the base test mm-hmm. but if you get into the last 20 years between 1995 and today last 25 years or so it's barely budged and it sits at around 55 to 60 percent of our movies Wow. That even passed this test. But it's important to understand, and I I got that information on a Duke research blog from Duke Mm -hmm. University. Mm -hmm. But on the Women in Film out of Los Angeles, womeninfilm.org website, it's important to realize that one of the reasons that this continues to happen is that the most of the people actually making the movies are men. Mm -hmm. And so they write about themselves and yeah. they write about the way they see the world and, and the vast majority are, are white men yeah mm-hmm. only 7.3 percent of directors are women mm-hmm. only 10 percent of the writers are women mm-hmm. and only 22 percent of the producers are women and less than one percent of composers are women in mm-hmm. film mm-hmm. so it's important to understand that until we move the needle on who's actually making the films, mm-hmm. we're yeah. not going to really move that needle. That's one of the reasons why the last 25 years or so has not moved as far as the Bechdel test is concerned. Yeah, yeah. it's 
Yeah. Yeah. Improved, but so marginally as to almost not matter. Yeah. 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 They've moved the needle two points and that's it. And <laughs> we're still Smurfettes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're still Smurfettes. Yeah. yeah. So, like it's Smurfette. Yeah, but. you know, it, it took some strength, I'm sure, to be surrounded by all those Smurfs. Um, yeah, well, you wonder how many more Smurfs get made. It becomes really, really yeah. disturbing. <laughs> if it's just the one Smurfette and yeah. all the Smurfs. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that brings me back to the conversation we, we started with Ron Moore and the spanking scene. Yeah. So, white man... You know, we might be fans of Ron Moore stuff, right? But but white man who redid the spanking scene to make it funny and didn't understand that the women in the in the room would, the room would find that Which, disturbing. Uh, I've got it. The conversation transcribed here. Oh right, part of the transcription. The tra- a part of the conversation transcribed, and yeah. So Ron Moore and Matt Roberts talking. And Matt Roberts says, uh, so I remember in playback, there was a, there was that moment. It was literally about 10 seconds on that cue, bringing it in earlier or later. And we played it both ways. And then we went around the room and we, we asked them and they were, there were a lot of women there and a lot of men there. And we kind of went around and talked it through and played it back and forth several times. And more comes in and says, and surprisingly, many of the women in the room wanted it to play more seriously. And Roberts comes in and says, uh, more darker. And I think we pulled it back to the, a nice middle ground. And more responds, yeah, it's a good middle ground. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I thought the I thought the book did a better job. I, there's been some things mm-hmm. that I think definitely, and we talked about this before, Terry, but where the the show has improved the books, but in that situation, I think the book was much better. Well, I, um, I'm kind of split on that. So, you? A, I think that the book did a better job of showing the horror of being spanked by your husband. Yeah. A, I think it did a better job of saying, no, this was not cool. Yeah. And she had to she had to go through an abusive moment with her husband because that was expected of him mm-hmm. and demanded of her. Yeah. Without her consent. Yeah. yeah. What I don't think that the book did well was the way that Claire forgives him. Yes. I agree with Completely that. I'm agree. not saying the book was perfect, but <laughs> that that Claire just uh, Claire in the book just goes we talked it out. He never apologizes. He never comes to an agreement that this is something that he did wrong. Yeah. And she just, she says, he just lays it out that this is who I am and from the era that I am. And so it seems to be okay yeah. in the yeah. 18th century to transgress in this way where yeah. it is not okay in the 20th century. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. That doesn't seem right to me. And so I like in the movie her yeah. putting a knife to his neck so and demanding that do he never again, does this again or whatever it is uh, yeah. she says yeah. she actually to, says that line in the book i'll cut your heart out and have it for breakfast yeah 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 but in a much more forgiving set of circumstances as opposed yeah. to really being furious with him it nearly destroying their marriage yeah you know in the book it's not even 24 hours that she's forgiven him yeah, but in in the in the movie, she holds on to the anger and the pain and the humiliation mm-hmm. a lot longer, and I I, I appreciate that yeah true. much more true. in the in the television show, and I think that's I think that goes to what you were saying, Amy, about the twenty five years that have passed yeah. since the writing of the book. It's that there is a difference here. No, you're absolutely right. I I, mean, I agree with you completely. 
And it does improve for things like that, but it doesn't improve for other things. For instance, after she's rescued from Black Jack Randall's clutches, you know, and they escape from At Fort William. From, yeah, yeah, they escape from Fort William and all of that. Mm-hmm. And they have that that conversation, that argument, she and Jamie. And it becomes all about Jamie. Mm-hmm. And you know, his, you're his my pain wife. And his trauma. I'm the one who's had to deal with him and his indecent proposals. I'm the one who's had to deal with, you know, the other men being angry about what you've done. I'm always, I'm tired of having to defend you. I'm tired of having to say you're not a spy. And it's, it's all about him. Mm. And that stays in the show. And we as viewers are actually asked to side with Jamie in the way that that's framed, in mm-hmm. the way that it's scored in terms of the background music, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I could not agree more. The way that scene has, and it was that, that was the audition scene. For yeah, Claire. that was their mm-hmm. chemistry test, wasn't it? Yes. And absolutely, that's been, that was written that way and it was set up that way. And, and actually, this is why I stopped watching Poldark. Oh, yeah. This is exactly why yeah. I stopped watching Poldark. It was the that? last episode of the first season and this is what happened she made a decision i can't even remember what it was but suddenly it was all mm. about him and and she's apologizing for something that she Demelza had to do. was her name mm-hmm. yeah and, it and that pretty much happens angry. every season i do watch it but yeah, yeah it does happen every time she does something that's the right thing to do gets him in trouble and then the he has she has to pay for for whatever yeah, and I don't, I don't, I, that, to me, that completely goes to what Amy was saying as far as the way it's changed. Because in the book, it's different. In the book, it is different that Claire still holds that she did the right thing mm-hmm. to trying to escape. And Jamie does ultimately in the, in the book, if, as I remember it, feels horrific for having beat her for going to try to get back to Frank when he realizes the whole arc of the story yeah. and he didn't know all of the the background for it because she hadn't told him. Yeah. yeah. And in the series as well. Yeah. You know, he real when he realizes he actually does sort of stop and go goes, you know, and I beat you for it. Yeah. You know, and it, it feels horrible. Yeah. But he never stops <laughs> to consider in the first place that there might be things going on that he doesn't know about, even though they've promised one another you know, secrets but no lies. Yeah. So he knows she has secrets. Mm. And he, he still doesn't give a space for those. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he couldn't have guessed that she was a time traveler. Yeah. But still. Yeah. No, but it reminds me of, so it reminds me of a parent whose child has wandered off to do something mm. or whose, whose child has done something to get her and everybody else in tremendous danger. Mm. And the parent is furious at the child for doing this. So this is so because we're theologians and because we, you know, do try to ultimately think about our sacred text every once in a while. This kind of reminds me of the scene of Jesus uh, going, staying behind at the temple during Mm -hmm. Holy Week for Passover. They've gone. He and his parents. He's twelve years old or something like that. They go or Mm -hmm. they go to. Jerusalem to make their offerings and Mm -hmm. the caravans coming back and Jesus is not there. They have to go all the way back. They're worried, sick, they're Mm -hmm. tired, they're angry. But that's a parent-child relationship. And I felt this before when I thought my son was in. And you want to shake them and you want to hurt them, but you you don't (laughs) because you're glad that they're alive. And still, this is a 
parent-child relationship, there's a power situation there in a parent-child relationship. And what we were hoping for in this relationship with Jamie and Claire was one of equity, was one of equality, was one of balance. And there isn't one Mm -hmm. when it comes down to that particular thing. And so there there is a gender difference that makes him almost acting as the parent here. Yeah. Well, he does have the equivalent authority. As a husband in the 18th century, he has complete power over her. (laughs) She is essentially his property. Yeah. And he is, socially, he is responsible for her actions. He's going to lay down his body for her, you know, and he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And it's, it's, it kind of goes to something I was sort of rethinking recently, or not rethinking, but thinking more about and actually sat down and started rereading the first book for the first time in a while. Mm. I've reread the series multiple times, mm. but it, with the TV series, I tend to reread the book that's coming up, mm-hmm. and then I sort of end up reading all of the rest, but mm-hmm. don't necessarily start again from the beginning. And rereading the first book and thinking about things like you know your earlier podcast mm-hmm. episodes, work that I've done, so forth, and this idea of this idea of Jamie as the king of men. Yeah. He is most definitely not the Mm -hmm. king of men. Mm -hmm. He, okay, you could make the argument, although, and I am a historian, Mm -hmm. is not the most historically accurate representation of men in Mm -hmm. the 18th century. It's not the worst, but it's not the best. Mm -hmm. And yet he is very much a product of that that period, his his society, so forth. You know, and he is sort of middling to upper level mm-hmm. within his society. You know, he's a laird and all of that. There's one scene, it's actually, it's different in the book than in the series, where they're back at Leoc, mm-hmm. and in the series, this is when they make up after the spanking. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it's just a sexual encounter that they have, where he's, he says, you know, I'm going to make you call me master. Mm-hmm. And the way in the book that scene starts is basically him saying, I'm going to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. And you not wanting Whether to have like sex it or not. right now is immaterial. Mm-hmm. You know, because she actually says no. Mm-hmm. And he says, I, you know, who cares? <laughs> I want this and you will want it too. Or you'll at least just go along with it. And of course, this is the way with these kinds of books. She eventually does come around to his way of thinking and decides she does want to have sex and they actually have a very violent sexual encounter where she actually in the description in the book starts experiencing pain Mm -hmm. from how hard he is thrusting Mm -hmm. and tells him to stop and he just makes it harder worse yeah and other things you know where later in the books where we start getting little bits here and there and it's always very biased about his marriage to leary Mm -hmm. And we know that it was a bad marriage. And I think there's a tendency to blame Leary because Mm -hmm. she is an unlikable character in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But if he was the husband to her, that he would have been to Claire if she hadn't said no and really meant it, Mm -hmm. he would have been a bad husband to her. He was selfish, entitled. Mm -hmm kind of an asshole (laughs) yeah he had his good qualities he had a good sense of humor but he was not the king of men yeah that has been 
I don't know where that's come from. Well, it was it Ron came Moore. From Ron Moore. Yeah. <laughs> It came Which from is interesting Ron in the context of yeah. this conversation. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about a conversation that we had at the end of last season about so a question that I had when we were talking about Jamie's rape of Geneva. Mm-hmm. And then sort of this question of how, what was that relationship he had with Larry? Why was she so scared of him? And, you know... They obviously had sex because he talked about how she didn't enjoy it. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, yeah, what happened there? And are we... And then there's the dream. Yeah. Yeah. I think we talked about that too, where Claire, yeah, yeah, he he sort of in a dream starts having sex with Claire and Claire's like, who do you think I am? Do you remember that? He rolls over to her almost as while he's asleep. Yep. <clears throat> almost like sleepwalking, but it's sleep sexing. And a new word, sleep yeah. sexing, trademarked, Terry Gow. Um, so uh, he rolls over and, and pulls her legs apart. She closes them and he forces them apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she basically has to shove him off of her because she realizes that he's still asleep. Yeah. And he wakes up and she's like, who did you? Yeah, exactly. I think she said. says, "Who who the fuck do you think I am?" I think yeah. is what she says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's one thing I have really liked that Ron Moore has done is to make Leary a little more human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't get really anything from Leary's point of view in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And her point of view is is valid, I guess. We hate her, but <laughs> I refuse to call her leg hair. I know a lot of people do online in the forums no, and stuff no, like that. And I think it's yeah. one, it's making fun of the Irish or Scottish language, Gaelic language. But second, I she's a person. She doesn't she doesn't need to yeah, be denigrated a, like that. A valid she's a valid character mm-hmm. and so there are legitimate reasons for women to have not to not want to have sex. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly without any type of protection or without any type of contraception. Mm-hmm. There are, are lots of legitimate reasons for women to even beyond the most legitimate, which is they don't want to. Yeah. You can just say no and it is okay. And that's okay. Yeah. But there are real consequences for Leary if she has more children. Yeah. There are real consequences for Leary if her husband has been out at pub and sleeping with whomever. There are real consequences for her. Yeah. yeah. And so those could be we don't get to, we don't get the reasons why she doesn't particularly want to have sex with him. Yeah. We don't know if she's if it's painful. Lots of things happen in childbirth that cause issues we, we don't know the reasons why we just know she said no and that should be enough yeah and with jamie being a sex symbol for so many fans it's like she must be crazy yeah. <laughs> there must be something wrong with her um if right. she doesn't want to have sex with him but it could even be that she just doesn't want to have sex right now yeah yeah <laughs> that's you can love someone a lot you can be wonderfully attracted to them but not want to do it right now yeah and if he treated her the way he did claire in the beginning then no wonder she'd be scared of him yeah because he's he's constantly described as being a very big man Mm -hmm. even by modern standards let alone by 18th century Mm -hmm. century standards Mm -hmm. you know he's what six four Something like he's that. He's yep. very muscular, very wide-shouldered. Mm-hmm. He's a big guy. Mm-hmm. And when you think most women in that period would have been around five feet, five foot one, mm-hmm. that's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. 
I couldn't. I don't think I could fight a fight off someone that size. Mm. Yeah. Especially if I did carry some sort of affection for them. Yeah. Or, and this is really important, and Leary herself stresses this at certain points. She's financially dependent upon him. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got two children to feed. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't screw that up in just the same way that if you don't like your job, you don't necessarily walk it and just start bad mouthing your boss, mm-hmm. even if every word you said was true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you know you've got this whole fairy tale mythology thing, which I love and I find incredibly fascinating because mm. I do. I'm wondering if there are fairy tales and that talk a that, that talk to this relationship between Claire and Jamie, that talk to this relationship between somebody who is intimidating and who believes that they've got all the rights and what have you and basically take ownership of a woman. I mean, we're talking about fairy tale and gender and we're talking about fairy tale and gender in relationships with Outlander. And we've been talking specifically about Claire's relationship with Jamie and how Claire doesn't really have, she, she doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Her choice has been diminished. The the cleaned up fairy tales of Cinderella, the cleaned up fairy tales of Sleeping Beauty have them so grateful to be rescued. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the main story that I'm thinking of in and I I've talked about this before. They're not in this conversation. Uh, Beauty and the Beast. That's what yeah. I was just thinking. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast yeah. is feeling like probably maybe the most applicable here. Yeah. 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 So yeah. tell us a bit more about that. Well, and there are, this is another really ancient story. There are multiple versions of this story, most of which are forgotten because the French version that we, this, the base of the Disney story. Gaston. So yeah, that's, that's the one that overrides. Which is the best versions. song ever. <laughs> it really is good. The villains always have really great songs in Disney yeah. films. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah, and Gaston is basically Blackjack in some yeah. ways. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Jamie is the beast you know and he even is described in sort of bestial terms repeatedly in the books um i think she even refers to him as you know you beastly scott and scots themselves are beastly yeah she comes into his world she has no choice about being sort of thrust upon him he has more choice but not a lot more Mm. she's at his mercy and she even ends up being taken back to his home and to serve in his home Mm -hmm. so she comes to love him he comes to love her he becomes a better man because Mm -hmm. of her Mm -hmm. he becomes less of a beast and more of a a real man Mm -hmm. so there are actually a lot of parallels between beauty and the beast and and outlander how much of the Beauty and the Beast story is also characteristic of the romance genre? Well, <laughs> romance as a genre has a history. Mm-hmm. And once upon a time, no pun intended, it basically just meant a fictional story. Mm. You know, so yes, Beauty and the Beast is a romance, so is Outlander, so is any other fictional novel. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be about a romantic relationship. Yeah. But obviously both these stories 
are very much about romantic relationships mm-hmm. where both partners are ultimately improved mm-hmm. by that relationship, mm-hmm. that they, they bring out the best in each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm also thinking of like Pride and Prejudice, which mm-hmm. is another yep. Beauty and the yeah. Beast kind of motif. This seems to be, has some similarities to that in the fact that, you know, I thought you were this way, you thought I was that way, and and we were both prideful, but now, you know, we're, we're together and we're except that of course the marriage happens early on yeah in in uh, outlander versus at the end of pride and prejudice and mm-hmm. at the end of many of at least our more contemporary romances there's some type of culmination at the end and there's some kind of satisfactory culmination of a relationship that doesn't show you what goes beyond yeah it just shows you the that we're now together and they live happily ever after a type of moment yeah, yeah. but i'm thinking so. though that so the the danger in the context of feminism here is that the danger for beauty and the beast stories is that it's the woman's job to tame the man and the emotional labor of of mm-hmm. of his conversion to become a sociable human being lies upon her well and not a dangerous human being it's not just a not just sociable but not a dangerous yeah Yeah. but i'm even thinking kind of in the you know the the very traditional well late 20th century romance novels bodice rippers or whatever you know that we call them as he's some rogue highwayman pirate whatever well they make reference they make reference to that in voyager absolutely (laughs) and he's this beast of a man and somehow he becomes tamed by the woman that he kidnapped or that gets sold to him or you whatever it's yeah. not a choice that she has made but she always comes to see his inner beauty and his yeah inner after he's pretty much raped her and yeah. then she decides that she, oh actually i might like this and has this awakening because she's a virgin she doesn't know what she's doing no no and yeah. then she likes it <laughs> so, that's, that's just the ultimate patriarchal justification for rape yeah isn't it? it's the ultimate yeah. patriarchal justification for Pretty much everything. Yeah. That, you know, really she wanted it. No yeah. means yes. Yeah. And, and all of that. Yeah. And so it's not my fault if she changed her mind. She wanted it. She, yeah. She just was just trying to down. hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it is, it is about taking away women's consent and yet at the same time giving women responsibility, mm. you know, and if they, it's the same reason why if a woman is raped, one of the things that's asked is, you know, well, were you walking alone? What were you wearing? All of that because sort of Because it must thing. have been your fault. Yeah. 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 You, you were behaving in a way that made you endangered. Yeah. It, it takes away our autonomy. Yeah. It takes away yeah. our humanity. Yeah. We yeah. can't, it, we're treated a, like children in that respect. Yeah. And, and like animals in that respect. Well, obviously this is what she wants because mm. it's what I want. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the center of the universe. And yeah. so if I want this and she says, no, I'm going to tame her yeah. in this way. Yeah. So she is now groomed rather than tamed in a yeah. way. I will make you call me master. Yeah. I will make you call me master. Yeah. And, and that's... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm really intrigued you used the term groomed. I, and I'm just thinking in the, you know, in con- connotation of child sexual abuse, that kind of stuff, we would use that language. But I've never yeah. made the connection of grooming an animal. 
right. to that conversation. So one of the issues I have with the one of the many issues that I have yeah. with the patriarchy and this type <laughs> of well, and and, and this type yeah. of, and and this is going to come off as is really weird, but it's it's the attributes that we give to men here that are also I mean we're we're calling we're we're treating women like they're lesser beings that are lesser mm-hmm. than human that they're they're childrenish they're animalistic that we have to groom mm-hmm. so that we can so that the men can have their pleasure and what have you mm-hmm. but what does this actually say about men too yeah if if it's it's mm-hmm. two sides of the same coin it's saying that men are animals. It's saying that men are beasts. Mm-hmm. It's saying that men are dangerous and horrifying beings, and they mm-hmm. can't be anything other unless they're in the presence of a woman, which yeah. puts a lot of undue pressure on women. Yeah. But it also really is shitty towards men. Oh yeah, and, totally. I mean, yeah. and 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 it it, it creates. I'm, I'm just trying to to for for our male listeners out there, and I know you're out there. I I swear, I believe that you are out there somewhere. <laughs> we really want to hear from we you. We know you're there, but I. <laughs> But I, I want to say that the patriarchy isn't it, – it, yes, there's a lot of great benefits yeah. <laughs> to this. But it sucks for you too. Yeah. But, but what is it saying about you? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. is it saying about you is you have absolutely no control over your passions. So why in the hell would we put you in any type of <laughs> – authority position why in the hell yeah. would we put you in the oval office if you have no control mm-hmm. of your passions yeah it's always just very convenient isn't it when yeah. it does and doesn't apply yeah but it's so damaging Correct. for everyone literally everyone mm-hmm. whether you're male female or mm-hmm. something else mm-hmm. you know yeah everybody is maligned everybody is kept from being themselves Everybody is forced into these unnatural boxes mm-hmm. and then told that those boxes actually are natural. And if you don't fit them, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Just a shout out too, maybe if you're really interested in hearing or, you know, sort of exploring patriarchy more. So there was a scene on radio, which I've probably talked about before because they're seeing white series. This is amazing. But it's out of the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University. Scene, S-C-E-N-E, um, scene on radio. But they did a series titled Men. And it was, um, it's like 12 or 14 episodes and exploring patriarchy and kind of how the history of it, how it works, all this kind of stuff. It was really, really good. So I'd really recommend reading that or listening to that but they're saying white series is really good too well and i just want to say quickly and kind of related Mm -hmm. to that Mm -hmm. because i encounter this sometimes with students because i teach a a module a second year module on gender and screen Mm -hmm. and there's always well not always but there's often the student and it can be any gender of student who is against feminism because they think it's about man bashing yeah and it's not Patriarchy bashing is not the same thing as man bashing. Yeah. 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 Some of my best friends are men. <laughs> <That's who laughs> <they were. laughs> For real, they were. Not just, you're not just saying that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's limiting to everyone. It is. Yeah. You know? And it's, that's why those of us who rail against it, rail against it. Cause we've looked at this and we've seen how it hurts literally every member of the society in one way or another to include the ones that it seems to privilege Mm -hmm. yeah and i think talking about that and bringing it back to outlander jamie 
one of the reasons he improves as a as a person mm. over the course of the the novels and presumably the the series as well is that he's having aspects of the patriarchy that exists in his world challenged by Claire and then of course later by Bree and even mm. to a degree by Roger yeah absolutely and starts Go, Roger. to realize that <laughs> you know this is forcing him to be something that he isn't necessarily comfortable being yeah and he's much happier being more egalitarian with claire rather than being her husband who has to tell her what to do he's able to have a better relationship with brie Mm -hmm. when he stops trying to be the father who has to take care of her and fight her battles you know he becomes a happier Mm -hmm. better person Mm -hmm. that's a that's a really strong stopping place and i love that amy thank you (laughs) yeah the next episode, we'll, we'll continue this conversation a little bit more. Great. Cool. Great. See you guys in two weeks. That's it for this episode of Outlander Soul. Thanks for listening. If you love what we do, a review, especially on iTunes, but wherever you get your podcasts would be really appreciated because it helps people to find us. If you listen and like what you hear, please consider supporting us financially. Just click the Support Us button at our website, on outlandersoul.com. There's lots of ways to donate, either via Patreon or PayPal, and every little bit helps. Also, we love hearing your comments, questions, and ideas for the show. So we'd like for you to join in the conversation. So you can reach us through our website, through email, voice memos, or social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. You can also contact us straight by email, outlandersoulpodcast at gmail.com. All lowercase, all one word. Or you can visit our website at outlandersoul.com and fill in the contact form. Thanks again, everyone. We're going to see you again in two weeks' time. Bye. Bye.